Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we begin a new series, Someday, a Code Word for Never. Our guest speaker this morning is Jeff Myers, pastor of Living Hope Church in Dixon. Jeff gets us thinking with the thought that someday I'll be a disciple maker. He begins by asking us, what if that passage in the Bible about love your neighbor actually means your neighbor? Listen as Jeff gives us some thought-provoking pointers on the art of neighboring that will definitely get us past someday. Morning, Bay Hills. Good to see everybody. I'm Jeff Myers. Um, For those of you who don't know, I used to be a youth pastor here. It's like 12 years ago. That's insane. That's insane. So um, you guys are awesome. Like, great worship this morning, and I love the new digs. And, like, I bought a VCR, like, right there once. And, uh, And a camera, like, right over there. So that's cool. Uh, it's good to be here. Really good to be here. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, um, our, you know, the kind of the founding fathers of of the church universal set up the Christian calendar in such a way that they structured it kind of like um, we do concerts nowadays, so that whoever preaches the last Sunday of the year is kind of like the headliner. And and so uh, I just want to thank Pastor Dave for opening for me all year long. That's great. And uh, anyway, so. <laughs> good to be it really is good to be here um you know when we were here we had um two kids molly and isaiah and they were little at the time molly uh, will graduate from high school this year and isaiah just got his driver's license a few weeks ago and we have two more kids now we have a a, a, a seven-year-old isla and a four-year-old meadow and uh, and they're a lot of fun too they remind us why it's fun to have kids and uh, now that we have teenagers and so um <laughs> Uh, and so that, that, that's all good. And, and so something happened the other day I want to share with you. Um, Isaiah, he, like I said, he's just has his driver's license for a few weeks. And uh, he uh, he got himself in a situation, honest, like new driver mistake. I wouldn't really anger, put put out, but not angry. Uh, but anyway, he uh, it was back when we had the heavy rains a few weeks ago. And uh, he, he got out of school, drove to a friend's house for a little bit, and then decided he just wanted to kind of drive around. I'm, I, I pastor in Dixon. If you don't know where Dixon is, right between Vacaville and Davis. Uh, that area that makes up what I call the greater Dixon Metroplex. And, uh, and so anyway, so he decided he wanted to just kind of get off by himself. And so he went driving, uh, you know, kind of the, the back roads. And so Dixon is completely surrounded by farms, if you don't know. And, uh, and so he's driving around and, and, uh, and he gets out so far and decides he wants to turn around. So he cuts into a little dirt farm road right in the thick of all that rain and, and immediately gets stuck. Right. And so he couldn't back out. And so, you know, logic would say, we'll try going forward, which he did. And, and, and then somehow logic said, hang a left into a newly plowed field, which he did. And, and so he basically buried my truck. Okay. And so, um, and, and so he calls and says, okay, I did this. I was like, okay, hang on. I'll be there in a second. So I get out to him and, and, uh, and I, you know, it's pretty bad. So I called AAA. They send a tow truck. The tow truck gets there. And uh, the guy just looks at it and said, nope, you're on your own. I'm not getting out in that. And uh, and so so then the next day I call AAA again. 
And uh, I said, you know, I explained a little greater detail of his situation. It was in a really precarious spot that he got it stuck. And, and, uh, and so they sent a kind of different type of tow vehicle out this time. And same thing, the guy gets out there, looks at it, is like, no, I'm not even getting out in that. That's, that's, I'll get stuck too. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think, and, it's, and you guys know it's just like rain, 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 and it's getting worse and worse every day. And so, so I'm thinking, I guess I don't have a car till spring. And, um, and so you know, just trying to figure out what's going on. And then now I'm from Oklahoma, um, and so that's where I grew up. Um, that's where you're supposed to cheer. So that's where I grew up. And uh, honestly, when I started driving, one of the things my dad taught me, he's like, he's like, first of all, he said, Jeff, as long as you live in Oklahoma, you'll never need AAA. You'll never need AAA because if you ever get off in a ditch or find yourself stuck somewhere, he said, don't do anything. And this is before cell phones. You know, you couldn't really call mom and dad if you were stuck. He said, just stay put. And within a couple of minutes, some redneck with a truck is going to come by and he's just going to be grinning from ear to ear at the opportunity to try to pull you out of the mud. They just love that sort of thing. And so, so I started thinking about, you know, uh, you know, two tow trucks later, can't get uh, my car out of the mud. Uh, you know, who do I know? And so sure enough, there was a guy in my church. I thought he might help. And he's got a, you know, big lifted up truck with big mud tires and a winch on the front of the truck. And so I gave him a call. His name's Justin. And I was like, you know, what do you think? And he, He's like, sweet, let's get muddy, you know? And so, so he gets out there and, and, uh, it was just, uh, so, you know, after a couple of attempts, he was able to, to get it pulled out and it was just, you know, great. Finally got it pulled out. That was good. But it, I, I heard something once and it reminded, going through this, it reminded me where somebody had said, you know, what if we had as much faith in our God as rednecks have in their trucks? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. What if we have as much faith in our God as rednecks have in their trucks? I mean, rednecks just think their trucks can do absolutely anything. And, and, uh, and, and if we had as much faith in our God as rednecks have in their trucks, I think the results would be similar. We would constantly be telling people about God. We would constantly be wanting to prove the power of God, wanting to help people with God, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and so what I want to talk about today as we kick off uh, this series called Someday, uh, Code Word for Never, where we're going to look at, you know, these things that we kind of put off and we think that someday we'll eventually do this or be this or, or whatever. What I want to look at today is this idea of, of someday I'll be a disciple maker. Someday I'll be a disciple maker. And this concept of disciple making is really critical to our faith, really genuinely critical to our faith. And I think that somehow over the last several I don't know, decades, I don't know how long it's taken. We have really lost this concept of disciple making. And, and, and we, we are now, when we kind of get involved with the Christian faith, I think a lot of us are signing up for a faith that really was not the faith that Jesus intended for us to sign up for. Um, and we've kind of gotten off track. And so what I want to do is, is, is kind of hit on this idea of disciple making because it is so, like we have, over time created these categories of Christian, and maybe you t- tend to think this way, where if somebody was to ask you if you were a Christian, you would say yes, but if they were to ask you, uh, are, do you consider yourself a disciple, you would say, oh, no, no, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm a Christian. And the only problem with that way of thinking is the Bible. The Bible doesn't allow us to think that way, that we were never called to go and make Christians. We were called to go and make disciples. 
And in fact, the, the word Christian originally was used as a derogatory term, to, uh, term towards people who followed Christ. It was never something, there was, there, there's this, there's not this kind of idea of category of Christian or disciple. You're either a disciple or you're not. You're either following Jesus or you're not. Now within discipleship, there are certain levels of maturity. The Bible talks to us a lot about, uh, you know, how you can be an infant as a disciple. You can be kind of a child as a, a disciple, an adult, uh, ultimately. Uh, the goal for us to, to, uh, beyond uh, kind of a mature adulthood kind of a discipleship uh, com- then comes reproduction. We need to be reproducing disciples. We need to be out making disciples. And Jesus put it this way in Matthew 28. It's what we know as the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says this. Uh, start with verse 16. I'm reading uh, one of your, your Bibles from over on the table. I think the screen has the ESV, so it may look a little different. It says, uh, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Let me stop right there for a second. This is a freebie. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I just like that uh, Matthew includes that little detail in his story. Get this in your mind for just a second. These are Jesus's closest disciples. These people have walked with him for the last three years. They have seen him turn water into wine. They have seen him uh, feed 5,000 with a happy meal. They have seen him uh, walk on the flipping water, right? Who does that? Uh, Jesus, that's it, right? They have seen him raise, I mean, heal people that were beyond healing, raise people from the dead. They have seen him confound the minds of uh, some of the brightest minds of their time. They have seen him do all this incredible, amazing stuff, then saw him sacrifice himself willingly on the cross for our sins. Three days later after his death, raise himself from the dead. They were witness to all of this. And yet, here they are with Jesus on a hilltop, and some are still doubting. Some are still doubting. Does it not crazy to anybody else? Is it not crazy? Because I, if you're like me, you tend to think, you know, if, if you tend to be a person who, maybe you get flashes of doubt occasionally, right? And you're like, I mean, I think it's natural. All of us as Christians, every once in a great while, you know, Satan's going to, you know, attack you in a weak moment and you're just going to have this flash of doubt. Even I, as a pastor, I have this once in a great, great while, I'll have this flash of doubt. Am I crazy for believing what I believe? Am I cra- is this crazy that I believe this though? And here these are his closest. And, and, and I think, and I tend to think, you know, if, if I, if I could have just walked with him and seen all the stuff, then it would just erase all my doubt, but evidently not. Evidently not. I don't know. I don't know what that means to you, but I find that greatly encouraging. That as, as a person who may occasionally feel a twinge of doubt, or maybe you're beyond a twinge, maybe you really struggle with doubt. You're in good company. You're in good company. So here they are. They're up on this mountain. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go ahead and get your, uh, if you don't have your notes out, get them out. As all you uh, OCD people know, 
Satan wins when we don't fill in our blanks. And so get those out. All right. So, so th- this is what I want you to know is as he, he gives them the authority. He, he, okay. Jesus in this moment in full awareness and full knowledge of who he is, knowing that all authority has been given to him, all authority. And he passes that authority on to his disciples and says, go make disciples. Now, if, if we're kind of, um, well, first of all, that first point, go ahead and put that up there. We cannot separate the call to make disciples from the gospel call. We cannot separate, there's two, two calls there. You cannot separate the call to make disciples from the gospel call. Now, the gospel call, we're all about the gospel call. You mean there's a Messiah, a, a Savior that I need who can save me from my sin, who can erase my sin, who can save me from the consequences of my sin, hell and eternal punishment that I deserve, and, and, and build a bridge to a holy God so that I can live in relationship with Him? Sign me up. Yeah, give me all the God, fill me two, two doses full of gospel. I'll take gospel all day long. But what we can't forget is that tied into that gospel call, inseparable from that gospel call, is the call for us to make disciples. It is inherent in the, in the gospel call. Now that, for a lot of us, that's really scary. For the, when I say that you are called by God to go and make disciples, for some of us, that is really frightening. Like, it, we get really apprehensive. Because here's the deal. If you read Scripture, and, and say you look to the Apostle Paul as an example, this is the, what, what Paul, the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul had the audacity to, uh, to, look, uh, to write letters to his church members and say things like this. This is what I want you to do. Look at my life and do what I do. Does that not frighten anybody else to, to, to say that? Like... You know why it frightens you? Because you know you. I know me. I'm jacked up. Like jacked up. Who am I to tell someone else, just look at my life and do what I do? And what I want to tell you is don't let that idea frighten you. Because ultimately... You're not asking someone to follow your example. Ultimately, you're asking someone to follow the example of Christ, the one that you're trying to follow. You see, all authority has been given, not necessarily to you, but to him, and it's his authority to pass to us. When I was in uh, the army, I was in the army in the mid-90s, and I was a chaplain assistant, and, um, and so I, I worked one-on-one. I was a private, you know, for most of that time. I was in for uh, active duty for like three years. And, and uh, during those years, I worked with a, a chaplain who was an officer. He was a major. And, um, and in our unit, I mean, he was one of maybe two or three majors, and there was only one or two people higher ranked, you know, than him in the unit that we were part of. And so, uh, you know, I worked every day closely one-on-one with one of the highest ranking guys in our unit. And so as a chaplain and I'm his assistant, occasionally he would have tasks for me to carry out and he would say, I need you to go here to this office, talk to, you know, Sergeant so-and-so and and, uh, tell him I need this and bring it back to me or whatever. And so I would, I would go try to carry out that task. And as a young private, a lot of times what would happen is I would go to that office and just get harassed. You know, who do you think you are? You know, come in, come back and, you know, I mean, just, just, just absolutely harassed, right? 
And so I'd go back to the chaplain, Chaplain Sullivan, that I worked for, and I'd say, okay, I tried. I did what you told me to do. I tried to get it. They wouldn't give it to me. They gave me a hard time, They, you know, making me jump through all these hoops. And uh, one day in particular, I remember Chaplain Sullivan just got absolutely fired up. And this was like one of the most happy, joyous guys you've ever been around in your life, just hug everybody's neck that he ever meet in an, in an environment where you don't really hug necks. And uh, And so he's like, okay, follow me. And we go see Sergeant so-and-so and, and, uh, Chaplain Sullivan, uh, not something a chaplain normally does snaps Sergeant so-and-so to attention and says, I need you to hear what I have to say to you. He says, when private Myers comes to you, he does not come wearing his rank. He comes wearing my rank and you afford the same respect to him as you would afford to me. Does that make sense to you? Now I I felt pretty good about that. I felt pretty good about that. But in the same way, Jesus, we don't, we, don't, we don't go out into the world making disciples on our own authority. We go on behalf of the one who has all authority. I don't stand up here and preach the gospel on any authority of my own. I stand on the authority of Jesus Christ and his word. If you come to hear me, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. So work a little bit at trying to put that apprehension out of your mind and instead go in the power that has been granted to you by the only one who can grant it, Jesus Christ. And get out and let's do some disciple-making. Let's do some disciple-making. Now, people come to faith in Christ in all kinds of different ways. I mean, all kinds of different ways. It, It amazes me how many different ways people, like, will be drawn into a relationship with Jesus. Some people will do it in a church setting like this, respond to a a message that's been preached or a lesson that's been taught. Some people will do it through, you know, a conversation over coffee with a coworker or something like that. I mean, all kinds of different ways, a youth group meeting, a camp or or whatever. Um, I I know a lady uh, from several years ago in my life that uh, the way she came to faith in Christ was she was 12 years old. And uh, in the back seat of her mom's car, riding down the road, had the window down, her arm rested up on the door, kind of halfway hanging out the window, and looked over and saw the wind blowing through the hairs on her arm and, and looked at that and go, and she said, there's a God, I know there's a God. Wow. Really? That was all it took? That's all it took. We just need to walk around with fans, right? I mean, that, that's, all, that's all it takes. But Pete, God draws people, I mean... It's not up to us how God draws people. He just meets people where they are, and he draws them in. But one of the my favorite ways, one of the, I, I think, best ways for us to go out and make disciples is this, is this thing we're going to talk about here uh, for the next few minutes. Let's look back at uh, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> Start with verse 34. Uh, let's see here. So we just read the great commission. This is what is known as the great commandment. Joy, joy referred, referred to it just a little bit ago. It says this hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees uh, got together. One of them, an expert in the law tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And when he talks about the law and the prophets, those were actually 
uh, sections of the Old Testament. And so what he's actually saying is the entire Scripture, everything that, that is in Scripture, hangs on these two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. If you're lazy and you don't want to read Scripture, remember those two things. Love God and love your neighbor. If you can get those two things down and live them out, you're doing pretty good. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, a lot of churches, you know, that, that's kind of the, the, uh, the mission statement for the universal church. So that's kind of all, all of our mission statement is to love God and love our neighbors. And a lot of churches have boiled that down, uh, into this phrase. And I don't know if you, you guys are, have done this or, or whatever. So if, if so, I mean, no offense or, or anything, but, um, a lot of churches have boiled that down into this, this statement. You've probably heard it before. Love God, love others. Well, that's what we're all about. Love God, love others. There's a problem though, I think with love God, love others. And the problem is this, when we just say love God, like we get love God, but when you change love your neighbor to just simply love others, I get to pick who others are. I can pick and choose others. So this is the question I want to ask you, your next blank there. What if, just some crazy thought here, what if love your neighbor actually means love your neighbor? What if that's really what it means? Love your, I mean, I mean, again, we can, when it comes to loving others, we, we can kind of pick and choose. But love your neighbor. We don't have a, we don't have any control over that necessarily, right? Like, now, what, for the next few minutes, I'm going to go over some thoughts here that are still fresh to me, that are still shaping me, that I'm still very much in conviction about myself. And that's kind of the way I tend to preach where, you know, God chastises me about something and I'm like, that's no fair that you're picking on me. So I'm going to preach it to everybody else, you know, that sort of thing. And so, so this is all fresh with me and I'm, and I'm sharing it with you, but it's shaping me. It's reshaping me. And it's, it's doing some, some work in my life that is honestly a little bit exciting for me, a little scary, but a little bit exciting. So let me start with a confession. I have not been a good neighbor. I'm not a bad neighbor. Like I'm not you know, kicking people's dogs when they're not looking or anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a bad neighbor. I'm not stealing newspapers or packages off of steps or I'm not a bad neighbor. I'm just not a good neighbor. This is the type of neighbor I am. I click my garage door open. I drive in, I click it down behind me. I go in my house and that's it. Any other honest, come on, we're this church. We can be honest. Any other neighbors like that? Come on, I just bared my soul in front of you and three of you are going to tell the truth, really? <laughs> I'm just, again, I'm not a bad neighbor. I'm just, not, I'm just not a good neighbor. I don't really love my neighbors. I don't. I don't. I'm trying. I'm trying. Like I said, God's been convicting about this and I'm not trying to let him reshape me in this area of my life. But I haven't been a good neighbor. And what if when Jesus said... I need you to love God and I need you to love your neighbors. What if he actually meant our actual neighbors? Can I, can I just suggest that if you will take that scripture to heart, it will be a game changer for the, you this year. It'll be a game changer. Um, at Living Hope Church in Dixon, where I'm from, uh, we emphasize, I'm sure Dave emphasizes a lot with you here too. I really emphasize with people that it's not an accident that God moved you to Dixon, that this is the mission field that he has called you to. 
And I would say the same thing is true with you here. It's not an accident that God moved you or, or had you born here in uh, this area of the East Bay. This is the mission field that he has for you to work on. We need to be people who are living life on purpose, who are living life on mission. And when you do that, it changes everything about your life. Little League is no longer just Little League. It's an opportunity to reach someone for Christ. Your job is no longer just your job. It's an opportunity to reach people for Christ. Your neighborhoods, your network connections, or your neighborhood connections and your civic connections are no longer accidental or coincidental. They are divine appointments. They are divine appointments. And I would go even further than that and, 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 and challenge you to start thinking, it is not an accident, it is not a coincidence that I am living on the street I'm living on, in the apartment complex I'm living in. It is not an accident. These are divine appointments. I have been put here for this time and in this place for a reason. Paul said it this way in... Um, in Acts, he's preaching a sermon to, in, in Athens. And he says this, uh, Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 26 and 27. Paul says, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. I love that. Did you catch what he said there? He said, he said that he's determined the allotted periods, the time. He's determined the boundaries of your dwelling place, the place where you live. That has been determined. That has been ordained by God. It's not an accident that you had to move in with your crazy brother-in-law. God meant for that to happen. It's not an accident that you, that, let's, okay, let's, let's back up a few years. It's not an accident that your home foreclosed on and you had to move to a different neighborhood. It was a divine appointment, not a tragedy in your life. Some of you needed that this morning. God has set up the time. He has set up the place. Why? So that, this is so good, so that some will seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him. And I love this next statement. He's actually not far from any one of us. You know why he's not far? When you look out your window and see that crazy pot smoking, you know, racket making uh, neighbor out your window and you're like, man, that guy is far from God. And God's response is he... I am close to him because you are close to him. He's not nearly as far from me as you think he is. I am right there with him because you are right there with him. That's powerful stuff to me. I don't know, I don't know how that strikes you, but it has been so convicting to me to think, to think that God has placed me in, in a mission field, the, the little cul-de-sac I live in now. There's a, a eight or nine houses there and, and um, I've lived there for three years and, you know, kind of waved at my neighbors in passing, but haven't really taken the time to care for them, to be a good neighbor. And I've been so convicted to, know, to, to kind of have this realization that God has placed me in this mission field that I have completely and entirely ignored. I haven't been a good neighbor, but I want, I want to be. I really do want to be. It's something me and my wife, Jamie, have been talking a lot about in and we're, we're kind of in process. And so what I'm sharing with you this morning, I, I, I wish I could stand in, a th- in my own authority and tell you 
this is exactly what we've done and this is what you, but, but we're in process. So let me share with you the process that we're going through right now. And, and if you're going to kind of adopt the art of neighboring and really get into how to be a good neighbor, I want to suggest four things. And, and, and this is kind of, this is kind of a, a journey, a process, if you will. And you may find yourself at, 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 at one of these four places already. And if so, just look at whatever the next one is as a next step for you. And if it's the first one, then look at the first one as, as your next step. But, but this, so if you want to be a good neighbor, I want, I want to suggest to do these four things. First one, first one is this. Meet your neighbors. Meet your neighbors. It may seem like a no-brainer, but it's a really big deal. You need to go meet your neighbors. Okay? You need to, you need to introduce yourself. You need to f- figure out what their names are and try to remember their names. Get to just meet them. Jamie and I, again, like I said, we've been very convict- convicted about this. So, so, uh, we did something just this last week. We, uh, we, uh, we baked a bunch of pumpkin pies. And, and by that, I mean Jamie baked, baked a bunch of pumpkin pies. And, <laughs> And, uh, and we just took pies to all of our neighbors. We just went door to door a few days ago and just took pies to each of our neighbors and said, Hey, Merry Christmas. We just wanted to share a pie with you. And, and, um, and, and I'm Jeff and this is Jamie and what's your name and introduced ourselves and walked away and jotted down the name. So I wouldn't forget cause I'm really forgetful and you know, that sort of thing. And, but I'm, I'm trying, we're trying to meet our neighbors. And the response to that has just been just in the last several days has just been unbelievable to us. All of a sudden it's like our neighbors want to connect with us and, you know, in ways that we were all ignoring each other before. Just go meet your neighbors. For some of you, that's what, that's your next step. That's what you need to do. You don't know your neighbors. You've ignored your neighbors. Oh, let me go. Let me go here for just a second. You don't like your neighbors. (laughs) Can I be honest with you? I took a pie to a guy I don't really like. Again, I'm just confessing. Okay. He has not been a good neighbor. <laughs> He'll never hear this, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead. But um, he, just, he just has. It's just been an awkward type relationship, and uh, it's been it's been a difficult, you know. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not, I've, I'm a late night guy. I, there's been a couple nights I've, you know, just been up late plotting revenge on my neighbor type of thing, you know. And and uh, haven't gone there, but I enjoy the thought process, you know. And. <laughs> And, uh, but it, I, and so, so again, I, I, in fact, it was something I shared with a small group that we were in uh, several months ago and just said, you know, I don't, I don't want it to be this way. I want to be a good neighbor. You know, I, I don't want to have all this animosity and everything and, and bitterness building up inside of me. I, I wanted, you know, I need to, if, if we would just meet, maybe things would be better. And sure enough, I took a pie to him and we had a great conversation. It was great. And I don't know if it'll stay great. Who knows? But, but I, I'm trying right? I'm trying. Sometimes you, that's the thing about loving your neighbors. You don't get to pick who they are. They just are. They just are. Second thing is this, in addition to meeting your neighbors, party with your neighbors. Seriously, party with your neighbors. You need to, you need to have a party with your neighbors. You need to get together. There's a great opportunity coming up in about four or five weeks for you to have a great party. You may know what it is. Super Bowl Sunday. Plan a block party. Uh, Jamie and I are working on this. Plan a block party. Hey, we're grilling out at, you know, for lunch and just hanging out. And if you don't have a place to watch the game, come over to our house and you can watch a game, whatever. But we're just all going to meet in the street and, 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 uh, you know, sacrifice a cow. Let's do this. And, and so, and so that's, you know, but have a party with your neighbors. And some of you are like, Jeff, you, we're in church. You, you don't know how my neighbors party. I'm just saying party with them. Go, go, go have a party with them. 
begin to build a relationship because when you enter, you know, when you intermingle with them in that way, in a kind of a casual and fun way, by the way, leave your Bible at home. Okay. Don't, 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 don't go handing out tracks at the party. Don't make projects out of your neighbors. Just be a good neighbor because being a good neighbor is the right thing to do. Okay. Go intermingle with your neighbors and you'll get to hear what kind of things they're interested in. You'll get to hear maybe even some things they're struggling with, some things that they could use some advice or help with, which brings me to the third point, and that's help your neighbors. Once you get to know them and you hear what's important to them and you hear maybe areas that they're struggling, reach out and help them. Maybe you got a single mom that's a neighbor who's working two full-time jobs trying to support her kids and never has time for anything and her yard is overgrown and depreciating the value of your home and you sit staring out your window griping about it, stop griping and push a mower. Stop griping. Push a mower. Reach out. You see somebody running frazzled and, uh, you know, whatever. Hey, I can run the store for you or watch your kids, whatever. Let me know how I can help. Help your neighbors. Help. If you have an elderly neighbor, neighbor that could use some help, getting her mail or, or, or whatever else that they might need help with, run into the store for them, help your neighbors. Find out what their needs are and begin to step in and help. And then once you've done that, once you have met your neighbors, once you have partied with your neighbors, once you have helped your neighbors, then you earn the privilege of gospeling your neighbors. Then you earn the privilege of gospeling your neighbors. The problem with Christians is we want to jump straight to gospeling our neighbors and we come across like freaks. We do. When someone knocks on your door, and you're a Christian, okay? You are a follower of Jesus Christ. When someone knocks on your door and says, have you heard the good news of Jesus? I wanted to give you this. What is your reaction? I'm a pastor and I don't have time for those people. Are you kidding me? I'm watching a game right now. Leave me alone. What, I mean, what? I, I, good grief. It rubs people the wrong way. I don't know. Maybe I'm angrier than most people. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But it rubs people the wrong way. Stop it. Get to know these people. We had, a, we had an issue, um, you know, in church life. Sometimes there are issues of, uh, of church discipline that has to take place. It's, it's a part of being a part of a loving church. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost always, you know, difficult, but a loving process. But we just, we had a, a lady in our church that needed for us to come around her and rally around her and support her and help her along spiritually because we saw her headed down a dangerous path. And we were, as the elders, we were kind of discussing how, how do we do this? You know, what's the, we want to do this right. And we want to do it in a loving way. How do we come around, you know, this, this person and uh, show her that we care and, and that we're serious about what the Bible says, but, but do it in a way that, that shows love at the same time. And as I'm praying through this, it's like God spoke to me one day and he said, he said, Jeff, you, you can't discipline someone. You're not discipling. I was like, okay, and I got to get in a relationship with this person. Can't just jump in out of the blue. And I would say the same thing about your neighbors. Don't just jump in out of the blue and go, ah, Jesus! You know, I mean, you can't do that. <laughs> Build a relationship with them. And pretty soon, once you've had a few parties with them and you've, and you've, and you, and you've, you've helped them out and things like that, and they get used to being around you when there are get-togethers going around the neighborhood, and maybe eventually they see a bunch of people show up at your house for 
what they didn't realize was a small group. And they're like, hey, I saw you had a bunch of people over at your house. What was going on? And you say, I had a Bible study. Would you be interested in coming over? And, and you'd be surprised, I bet, how many of them, yeah, sure, I'll do that. But build relationships with them first. Build relationships with them first. Here, here's the deal. I, I, I don't know if this is, I don't know. It shouldn't be revolutionary, but for whatever reason, it just is to me. Like, I, does anybody love, I, like I love, I love, 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 love the Andy Griffith show. Anybody love the Andy Griffith show? Like I watched the Andy Griffith show. I'm like, gosh, I want to live there. I just want to live there. And you know, and it's not, and, it's, and I'm not, I'm not the guy. I'm not, I'm seriously not. I'm not the guy that's like, oh, we, things were better 50 years ago. I'm not that guy. But, but. You can't help but look at our society and realize that that sense of community, that sense of really leaning on each other and sharing life with each other is, is, is all but gone. And what if the most transformational thing that could happen to this area of the East Bay was not a bigger, better church, but just a church full of better neighbors? Just a church full of better neighbors. This is what I think would happen. I really, I really believe this. I think if everybody in this room would just make a commitment over the next year, I'm, I'm going to be a better neighbor. I'm going to get to know my neighbors. I'm going to spend time with them. Gonna, and again, I'm not going to make projects out of them. I just, I, just for this, because being a good neighbor is the right thing to do, I want to be a good neighbor. This is what I think. I think a year from today, this church would look completely different. I really do. I want that for my life. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a burden for me. I don't know if God might be speaking to you in the same way or not, and maybe you're already a great neighbor, and, but maybe you can model that for other people. You know, maybe pies aren't your thing, but, but maybe somebody else has an idea to help you meet your neighbors or throw a, an event to get to know them or, or whatever. Whatever that is, just share those thoughts with each, with each other, and let's commit this year that we're going to take God's Word seriously Instead of just picking and choosing who we're going to love, we're going to love the people that God has put us closest to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And once again, your word is good to us. And even though it is, um, as it often is, difficult. Um, God, just for me personally, I want to ask you, would you just, um, would you forgive me for being, um, for not being a good neighbor? Forgive me for being self-centered and, and not caring about those people that you have uh, placed me within, um, you know, in close distance to, God. Would you help me to see every area of my life as, as the mission field you have placed me in? God, would you help me? To, would you give me a genuine concern and care for my, for my literal neighbors, God? Um, not because not as a church growth method, God, but just because you've called me to be a good neighbor and, 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 I, want to, and I want to obey you. I want to do that. God, I pray that uh, through, you know, that this uh, time here today would be a seed planted in lives all across this room and the result would be a body of really good neighbors would live life and community in such a way that it would glorify you. Give us opportunities to share the wisdom of your word. Give us opportunities to 
share invitations to this church that we love so much that you blessed us with. Give us opportunities to serve our neighbors and be our hands and feet, be your hands and feet to them. Um, God, just use us. Take us and use us and just use us up. We love you and we want to live life on mission for you. We thank you so much again for your word and we give you all the praise and all the glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bale. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.